what is it called again? Picture what? Picture lot. Man, how you don't know what you're going oh. on? Picture lot. Picture yeah. lot. No, I, yeah, I got you. I got you. Picture lot. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go Fire up the projector, get your popcorn while it's hot. You know what it is, it's time for Picture Lock. Welcome to the 100th episode of the world-famous award-winning Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. That's right, folks. After I load this to the podcast, you can find 100 episodes archived of the show that aired on this lovely radio station over the past two years. When I was a kid, if someone had said that I would one day have a show on the radio, I probably wouldn't have believed it. TV show, I I probably could have, but radio, it wasn't on my radar. (laughs) So it's super dope to have hit this milestone. A major thanks to Arlington Independent Media for creating WERA and an effort to raise the voices of the community. Through the radio show, I've been able to take the podcast into the airwaves of the DMV area and expose the community to indie filmmakers, film critics, and more. So I'm going to take a sec to breathe that in. All right. Since this is the 100th episode on WERA, and I make that distinction because there are plenty more episodes on the podcast from prior to the radio and unlock episodes, the after shows, all that good stuff. But I've got a super special episode for you guys today as I have founder of Indie Film Hustle and Indie Film Hustle TV, Alex Ferrari, on the show. We talk about how his love for film burgeoned into an empire along with the launch of his new streaming platform geared to help indie filmmakers. I also talk with Roxy Shi, director of Painkillers. Now, (laughs) Roxy is a rock star. We recorded this interview a while back, but since then I followed her on Instagram and I mean, she dances, plays the violin, directs the film festival, directs movies and so much more. You'll definitely want to check out the after show that I have with both my guests next week to keep your Thanksgiving travels fun. So play this on the plane or in the car as you go celebrate the holiday with family or friends. Since this episode will be the one to air prior to Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. I sincerely hope you get to spend time with loved ones. In honor of this monumental episode and the holiday, I have some call-ins sprinkled throughout the show in which folks will list their top three Thanksgiving films. I didn't give mine because if you go back to last year's Thanksgiving special, I actually listed mine then. But first, Steve McQueen's Widows hits theaters this weekend, and y'all... I guarantee your money won't be wasted if you go. I've got my review of the film, and that's all ahead on Picture Lock. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. (laughs) 
So I got the chance to see Widows at the Middleburg Film Festival this year, and I gotta say, in lesser hands, Widows would be a run-of-the-mill heist film. Give the script to any other director, and you may not be challenged to keep up visually in the way Steve McQueen intelligently crafts this film. Give the script to any other cast, and the words wouldn't be elevated from the page to create characters that we see transform throughout the course of the film. Folks, grab your popcorn. This is why we go to the movies. Set in Chicago, Viola Davis is Veronica, leads a group of women who are found grieving the loss of their criminal husbands. After the husbands perish in their latest heist attempt, their death means nothing to the people they owed. Local crime boss turned politician Jamal Manning, played by Brian Tyree Henry, seeks the money that Harry Rawlings, played by Liam Neeson, and his crew stole from him on principle. But also because he's running against Colin Farrell's Jack Mulligan, the man whose family has been aldermen of their district for two generations prior. Equipped with a notebook her husband Harry left, Veronica decides that she can get out of debt and start a new life if she and her fellow widows can pull off the big caper Harry plotted out. Listen, McQueen's work has always been raw, dark, and visually biting. He's able to use those elements set against the climate of current day Chicago to give us a memorable blockbuster heist film. The opening itself is a Soviet montage of sorts that doesn't lovingly bring you into the story but crashes together in a rhythmically edited mashup that quickly brings the audience up to speed. McQueen leads the story with his camera, laying the groundwork for his actors to step in and knock the ball out of the park, and they come through. This review would be too long if each cast member got their time to shine, but just know that they do. Of course, Davis delivers a stellar performance as per usual, giving Veronica an internal conflict that is exhibited in a way that only Miss Davis can do over the course of the film. Elizabeth Debicki may certainly have the best character development throughout the whole film as you literally watch a shutdown and abused widow become a leader and empowered woman. Listen, I'm not going to go into any more details, but I will say that the film you're going into is not necessarily the film that you see, and I mean that in a good way. You are going to be surprised and really enjoy this film if you are a fan of heist films, ensemble films, and all around just good films. Widows proves that heist films can have layered meaning and story to them. It's a good night out for the ladies, date night, and even time for the fellas. So however you see it, make sure it's in a theater. It will be well worth the money spent. I give it an A. Widows is now playing in theaters. Now, before I hop off, I do want to say Green Book is out in theaters as well. This is another A from me. I got to see this at the Middleburg Film Festival. It stars Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen. Um, this film is definitely going to be up for best picture. It's one of those films that is firing on all cylinders. I saw it, as I said, in Middleburg, and this was the only film that I saw that got a standing ovation. I mean, everybody was into it collectively, the soul of the audience. We all got the jokes. We all got the uh, emotional experience. The chemistry between Ali and Mortensen is just 
incredible. Uh, so I definitely suggest this weekend at the movies is just like you can't lose. Widows, Green Book, I'd see both. I'd see, I'd see all, uh, and like I said, you will definitely hear about Green Book come awards season. Hey, how's it going, Pitcherlock? This is filmmaker and director Joe Carabello calling you from the great territory of Northern Virginia. I'm here to say happy 100th episode. So awesome, guys. I congratulate you with all my might. And I really appreciate you, what everything you guys have done for the filmmakers in the area and everything you've done for all the people who just need to know about films. But you want to know about my favorite top three Thanksgiving films? All right, fine. Number three, Dutch. John Hughes written movie. Ed O'Neill, can't miss that. Number two, Thanksgiving trailer by Eli Roth. And of course, number one, a very dear film to me, by Barry Sonnenfeld, Adam's Family Values. Hope you guys enjoy my three, and hope you guys enjoy your 100th episode. That's a huge thing, and I think you guys are amazing. Thank you. My name is Joe Carabello again. Filmmaker, director, producer, writer, whatever you guys want to call me, JoeCarabello.com. And, you know, have a cake. See you in 100. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and Indie Film Hustle TV is the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. It boasts thousands of videos to help you on your filmmaking and screenwriting journey. On IFH TV, you'll find filmmaking, screenwriting, and content creation documentaries, exclusive interviews with film industry leaders, exclusive workshops, online educational courses taught by some of the film industry's greatest minds, and much more. If Indie Film Hustle sounds familiar, it should be because my guest, Alex Ferrari, is the founder of Indie Film Hustle, and what indie filmmaker hasn't heard of the Indie Film Hustle podcast? So without further ado... Founder of Indie Film Hustle and IFH TV, writer, director, and author, Alex Ferrari. Welcome to Picture Lock. <laughs> what a great intro. Thank you. So I am humbled. I am humbled and grateful to be here, sir. Oh, man. I am excited to have you on. We are kindred spirits. Alex, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um... In all honesty, it was probably when I worked in this thing called a video store, <laughs> where you used to go to watch and rent movies uh, on a video cassette. And, um, and for all the kids listening, just Google that, VHS, it's hilarious. <laughs> right. um, but that's honestly where I fell in love with it, man. I came from, I came, uh, from that kind of generation of filmmakers. Uh, I always like to say I'm the less predominant, I'm, I'm the least predominant filmmaker of that generation. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I kind of fell in love with it there because uh, I started when I was 14, uh, working uh, under the table illegally uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't get a job because I had to be 15 to get a job. And my, the, the owner was like, no, nah, no, nah, you can, you can like, work here, fine. Uh, so I, uh, I started working at this video store and it was, it was great. I just kept watching movies all the time and that's kind of where I fell in love with movies. I just... I mean, I literally was on a diet of three or four movies a day for four or five years. Wow. And it opened me up to an entire world of cinema that I had not known about and foreign films and documentaries. And, you know, I worked in a mom and pop shop. I wasn't even working at a you know big blockbuster or anything like that. So 
it was it was wonderful, man. You know, and then if, when I wasn't watching movies, I was playing Nintendo. So it was a it was a great great time. That's where I kind of fell in love with movies. And when I got out of uh, high school, I looked around my room and I had a collection of about three thousand VHSs, if I'm not mistaken, that I accumulated over the years. And I said, well, I, I guess I like movies. I'm going to go be a director. And this is where this is that's where this crazy train started. <laughs> <laughs> Man, okay, so a few things. One, you know, three thousand VHS tapes. Like you must have slept on top of like your bed was VHS tapes. No, no, I actually had custom built shelves. Wow, back where you can afford stuff like this. Where yeah, I like I, all like all the walls were VHSs, and from oh. from the ceiling to the floor. And I have one video of that, of like a proof of it. Okay. Where I, I, I put out on my YouTube channel my Project Greenlight uh, submission tape from 2003. And <laughs> I, I'm there. In that the is crazy. That... And I see it. Uh, I'm actually in season two uh, for like five, six seconds in the opening episode. <laughs> um, but I'm there and people always call me out on it like, did I just see you on Project Greenlight? I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> um, but I that, but that I saw the wall of videos in the background, and it was just like, oh man, I forgot about that. You could even see my editing system back then, which was, you know, I think I don't even I think a Paramac 8100 or whatever it was. Wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so. That's awesome, yes. man. So, okay, so obviously you definitely had a love uh, for film. And if you could take us from, you know, this kid that is sleeping, eating, breathing VHS tapes to uh, the man now that has, you know, an indie film hustle empire. How did you really kind of get into the industry? Because you started out more so on the filmmaking side and then wanting to help others. So take us through that journey. Um, I started off as an editor because I discovered that I did not like being a PA. So I said, hey, I'm going to go in that air-conditioned room <laughs> learn to, and learn how to run that that, that computer. Right. And uh, it was literally that simple of a conversation with myself. I was like – I was working – my first job, I was working as a tape dubber at a commercial production house. Uh, so it was all these big time commercial guys and I was cutting their reels, uh, reel to reel on three quarter inch back in the day. And uh, next door, literally in my, the office next door, they had a avid number six. Like it was literally the, the sixth avid sold. Wow. That's how old the thing was. Uh, they were the first ones in Florida to have an avid. And I beat that thing up like it was nobody's business. And anytime I called tech support. I go, it's Alex and Abby. You would, it was when Abby was a bit smaller back then. Like, oh, it's Alex. All you would hear is the manual pages just going back and forth. <laughs> when I called, it was some obscure error that's come up because it was so small. Right, right. Uh, but so I started, I edited. I started editing and uh, then went off and became a freelancer and then started directing commercials, music videos, uh, but always editing, color grading. Uh, post supervising, VFX supervising, and kind of grew from there. And little did I know that I was building up a toolbox of tools that I would later use uh, when making my own film. So I, I, I built out a lot of skills uh, and tools that I just gathered on my journey. So now to, to the point where I'm right now, where I can go off and make a movie for three or five grand and knock it out, mostly 
and carrying most of the technical weight on my own shoulders and not having to hire other people to do things. So it gives me a, a leg up on being able to produce high quality content at an extremely low price. Um, but that's how it kind of went. And it's a much longer story. I mean, I can go into a lot more detail, but generally that's how I got started direct, you know, getting into directing and all that kind of stuff. I did a short film in 2005. Well, to answer your question, like, how did I go back to start helping filmmakers? It started in 2005, where I made this short film that, you know, at the time was pretty technically advanced. It was it had 100 visual effect shots. We comped everything in shape, which was the, the VFX program back in the day, edited in Final Cut 4 or 5, something like that, and uh, shot it on the DVX 100A. Panasonic uh, mini DV camera that was the first camera to shoot 24p mm. and we did this 20 minute action thriller short film and I said to myself well no one's going to buy this because I'm nobody and everybody in my movie were no name actors <laughs> local I just shot with I shot the movie in West Palm Beach so I said to myself I'm like you know what I, I, I got to figure out how we're going to make some money back because it cost me about 8 grand to put the whole thing together and uh at that point, I said, well, you know, I couldn't find any information about how to make a film anywhere, you know, uh, at this level, at this budget range. So I looked and looked and looked, and I just could not find these are great. But I'm like, Robert, you're rolling with seven to ten million bucks, boy. I'm not I'm not rolling that hard just yet. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, it's great. I love the guacamole gun. It's fantastic. But really not helping me uh, other than inspiring me. So I put this together three and a half hour like film school, guerrilla film school on how we did everything. And we put it on a DVD and sold it. And we made, uh, we sold over 5,000 copies of it. Wow. Uh, and just, and I still sell it to this day. Uh, not on DVD. I have it on uh, IFH TV. Now it's on IFH TV and, and other places. But uh, that was where I, the genesis of me trying to give back to my, my tribe, my, my community started. And then fast forward 10 years, and uh, I launched into Film Hustle. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the founder of Indie Film Hustle and Indie Film Hustle TV, Alex Ferrari. Alex, uh, let's go ahead and jump into Indie Film Hustle TV because I want to make sure that we hit that and then maybe on the back end we can hit uh, some of the many other things that you're doing. But I saw that you had this announcement that, you know, you're bringing basically a streaming platform uh, for indie film filmmakers. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the platform, the genesis of the creation and what folks can expect to find? Well, I, I you know, back in the days when I was working in the video store, I hunted for making of documentaries and you know commentaries and you know you know documentaries about filmmaking and all this kind of stuff, and I could not find much a lot of it back in the day. And I always remember, like, man, I just you know every once in a while you would catch a movie like The Player or Staten Maine or Living in Oblivion. Uh, or these great, uh, the big picture, some of these great movies that were about filmmaking uh, or a documentary like Hearts of Darkness or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was hard. It was just all over the place. And I, you know, like probably about six months ago, I, I was sitting here thinking, I'm like, you know, it would be kind of cool if there was a platform like Netflix, but just for filmmakers, screenwriters and, and content creators. And I'm like, and there I would house 
all those documentaries that I loved, you know, coming up, because they're still amazing. I mean, you, know, you watch Hearts of Darkness now, it's from a movie from the made in the 70s. I guarantee you, if you're a filmmaker, you're going to be glued to the, pit, to the screen. Right. Francis Ford Coppola almost go insane uh, <laughs> while making that movie. Um, and there's so, 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 so many uh, those kind of documentaries. I don't have that movie, of course, but because uh, it's a very big movie. But um, but I wanted it something that I could find uh, a place where uh, filmmakers can kind of go and veg. And just like if they want to be engulfed for eight hours watching documentaries about making movies, watching films about making movies – want to watch interviews with some of the biggest names in screenwriting and, and, uh, and directing and filmmaking cinematographers would go and watch, you know, the Kodak masterclass series taught by ASC DPs, uh, and as well as taking courses like actual full blown courses. So I wanted to kind of create a Netflix meets masterclass, but as a streaming service. And I looked around and there was definitely nothing at all. I mean, I literally went to Netflix that day and typed in the word filmmaking, and I got zero things back. Like mm. nothing, nothing came back. So I'm like, well, obviously the big boys don't care about this market. Um, let me see if I can do something. So uh, I partnered with a, a great company called Uscreen, who allowed me to uh, they handle all the back end for the um, for the platform, and uh, I handle all the content and building it all out. And uh, they gave me the ability to launch a streaming service that has it's available uh, right now is on apple uh it's going to be approved for ruku and fire tv in the next couple weeks and then within a month or so i'll have the apps up for apple and android and then after the new year we're going to have an xbox and android tv apps added as well uh, as well as obviously online and i wanted a, i wanted kind of a place for not only you know American filmmakers because we you know here in America we're very uh, spoiled. We have access to a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, especially someone like me who lives in LA. I mean, there's just so much access to this kind of stuff. But for people around the world, it's not that easy. Um, and I've noticed just from after the launch how many people, international customers, international filmmakers have signed on because it's. It's a window. Uh, it's an access to to information that you just wouldn't normally get, or it would be very difficult to kind of hunt and peck to find it all everywhere. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring that kind of access to to filmmakers around the world. Because I remember growing up, you know, in Florida, I was way far away from LA. That was like another world to me. And anytime I saw like the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark or, you know, a Star Wars documentary, you know, how they did the visual effects. That was gold to me right. because it was just like I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I get a window. I'm like a fly in the wall on the process. And that's really what I wanted to create with IFHTV. And um, people, you know, we launched it last week, and, and it's gone kind of nuts. <laughs> so <laughs> um, uh, people really, really love it um, so far. Really, everyone likes it, and I'm going to continue to add – new content every month. I have an obscene amount of content that's just sitting waiting to be released because I was told, stop putting stuff up. <laughs> it's too much, Alex. You, you, you pace yourself. You're just like, I'm like, no, I wanted to be the best when it launches. Like, right, dude, right, you right. 400 hours of crap. Just calm the heck down. <laughs> Man, well, that's, that's really good to hear. And, you know, just in browsing, like, some of the different things that you can access – 
what I'm really realizing is that the thing about indie film hustle TV is, uh, and I think this is in, ge in general true about filmmaking, and I tell people this all the time. Like, I went to school, got an MFA in film uh, and electronic media, right? So I did that so that I could teach and everything like that. But I think filmmaking is one of those things where you don't need a degree to make films, right? But what, you, what you're getting from, like, uh, a degree is you're, you're getting an understanding of uh, the fundamentals. So you can play basketball and uh, anybody can pick up a basketball, but when yeah. you learn the fundamentals, then you can break the rules uh, to make it your own, and you know you understand the game on, on this different level, and I think it's the same thing with filmmaking, and what I see with uh, IFH TV is that this is like a, a classroom in a box. Like you have, whether it's uh, you know screenwriting, specifically you even get into the art and craft of comedy writing. Uh, you know, it's almost like pick your own adventure, but you can learn from people as well as be inspired by those films. Because you know, as we know, filmmaking. There's like even like Widows that's coming out and is yeah. dope. You got to see it. There are so many different uh, homages in it. And so when when we're able to learn from each other, we're able to learn from the past. Like you said, 3,000 VHS tapes. You're able to take that knowledge and make it your own. And so uh, is that what you're seeing is starting to happen with, I know you just launched, but the tribe of people that are, are, are joining in and, and checking this out. Well, I mean, I mean, I've had Indie Film Hustle open for about three and a half years uh, since I launched it in 2015. So I, I see the behaviors of what filmmakers do and what they like, what they watch, what they listen to. So I have a really good take on what what's happening with indie filmmakers based on just my show and on my, you know, analytics of my website, which has an obscene amount of of free content on indie film hustle so i do agree with you i think that filmmakers are you know are picking their own path in a way look i went to film school uh, i went to a, a technical college called uh, full sail in orlando and it was a it was a great experience i loved it i loved every second of it and it was affordable for me back then now it's not so affordable <laughs> right uh, but it was affordable for me back then and but the bottom line is when i walked out i Everything I learned, I really learned on the street, you know, working, hustling. Mm -hmm. I learned how to wrap a cable, and I learned how to make a cup of coffee. <laughs> and those are two very important things when you're first starting out. Yeah. Those two things. Is it worth 20 grand? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I could have just learned it other ways. But also back, it was 96 when I graduated. So, you know, the information wasn't nearly as, as available as it is today. I'm curious to see what I would have done back in my youth if I was around at 20-something now. Like, I'm really curious to see where I would have, my career would have gone, what I would have done, how, what I would have done differently. But do you need film school? No. Do you, would it be great to go to a film school? If you can go to an affordable film school, why not? You can go to a like, community college and teach you the basics, that it's not super expensive do it why not you meet other filmmakers you could do it i always tell people because like, i speak at usc sometimes i'm like you know you go to you go to film school like usc you don't you go for the knowledge and the access that's great and, and all but what you go for is the connections right that's what you're going to do because the guy sitting next to you is probably going to run the studio one day right you know that, you know and i meet i know a lot of guys from usc 
uh, and all of them, you know, they especially it's like this little club, you know, or NYU for that matter, you know, these kind of really big film schools. I think nowadays the information and the knowledge that filmmakers need to actually go out and make a living is not necessarily in academia anymore. It's there if you want it and you can afford it, but if you can't, my God, between, uh, I mean, obviously I'll plug IFHTV because there's a lot of information on there, but YouTube, uh, online courses, you know, masterclass. I mean, you've got Ron Howard, Academy Award, <laughs> Ron Howard, right. directing, showing you how he directs a scene for two hours. Like, what? For 90 bucks? Like, are you kidding me? Like, why wouldn't you take that course? Like, what, what's wrong with you if you don't take that course, if you want to be a director? Why don't you take the Martin Scorsese? Why don't you watch the Spike Lee one? You know what I mean? Like, and then while you're at it, why don't you listen to Samuel L. Jackson talk about how he acts? Like, there's so much information out there that I don't think that you need to go to school anymore. But I do believe the filmmakers are finding their way. And also, don't forget, and I have a much more international look at, at things because of my platform, is that it's not accessible to everybody. You know, I got, I mean, I literally heard from a guy from Uganda, like mm. three days ago. I got an email, I'm like, hey, I'm from Uganda. I know you talk a lot about the US and European markets. So a lot of the stuff you talk about, I really can't use, but a lot of the stuff you do talk about, I can use, so thank you so much for doing what you do. And I'm like, effing Uganda? Like, <laughs> right. The podcast got to Uganda? Like, it's, it baffles me how far, you know, indie film hustle goes. and and, and it never surprises me anymore. Like, I'm like, God, man, I can't. Like, I was at a party last night at AFM. I was at AFM, the American film market. Mm -hmm. I'm at a party, and I meet a guy from Finland. He's like, oh, big fan. I listen to your stuff all the time. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah, make a movie, and uh, yeah, man, and, you know, out there, there's just not a lot of stuff, so. You're listening to Victor Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the founder of Indie Film Hustle and Indie Film Hustle TV, Alex Ferrari. Alex, man, this has been an awesome conversation, and I can't wait to talk to you more in the after show. But kind of sure. wrapping up for uh, the radio broadcast right now, a couple mm -hmm. questions. Um, yeah. uh, one, how can people actually, you know, check out Indie Film Hustle TV? And then two, uh, you know, you are a writer, director, and author. I, I know you have a book coming out. If you could plug that as well. Um, well, anyone can come out to, uh, if you want to get to Indie Film Hustle, just go to IndieFilmHustle.tv uh, or IFHTV.com. Uh, my main website, uh, the hub for everything Indie Film Hustle is at IndieFilmHustle.com where you can get to everything that we do. Uh, and then uh, the book that I have coming out, it, uh, it, it's, uh, I'll give you the short, quick version and the after show will go into it a little bit more, but it is the story of the worst time of my life as a filmmaker where I almost made a $20 million feature film for a gangster. <laughs> and, that sounds like a movie in itself. <laughs> well, that's, I'm hoping. Um, and the, not only that, where my life was threatened on a daily basis or every other day, I don't want to push it. Um, I was stuck in the web uh, of the mob there for about a year. I was 26. Uh, I had no understanding of what the hell was going on. I directed a bunch, but uh, commercials and videos and stuff, but nothing like this. But that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that Hollywood took them seriously. And I was flown out to LA and I met everybody. I met studio heads, I met billion dollar producers. I'm 
in the Chateau Maman meeting huge, you know, huge movie stars at the Ivy talking to producers and writers. I even I even got to meet Batman. <laughs> and uh, like really one of the actors who, who plays Batman, I went to their estate and uh, and was hanging out with Batman during this process. <laughs> so it is an amazing uh, story. It is a brutal story. It's uh, a raw story. And I think every filmmaker who's ever wants to chase a dream of being a filmmaker needs to read the book purely on a way, purely to show you how not to sell your soul in chase of the dream, which is what I did. And I was lucky I got out, but uh, it was brutal. And of course, this, the book is called Shooting for the Mob. <laughs> I love it, man. <laughs> comes, out, comes out in 2019. <laughs> That's awesome. Founder of Indie Film Hustle and IFH TV. Make sure you check them out, IndieFilmHustle.tv. Alex Ferrari, man, thank you so much for coming on Picture Lock. It's been a blast. Uh, thank you, brother. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is writer-director Chad Quinn, also known as Cuddy. The direct... Oh, let me start that over. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? This is writer-director of For the Love of Music, Chad Quinn. No, let me say my name first. I'm sorry. I got you. This is why I don't act. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Chad Quinn, the writer and director of For the Love of Music, and you're listening to... What is this? The, um, drop... <laughs> Yeah, this is like a blooper reel. Hold on. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is take four. I would have definitely not got this audition. All right, all right. Hi, Kevin. This is Carolyn Bolevsky, and I'm just wishing you congratulations on 100 episodes of Picture Lock, which is fabulous. I'm so glad that you're continuing to do the show. It's not easy, and you make it look so easy. Um, my top three Thanksgiving films. Okay. You got to go with Adam's Family Values. Funny People by Judd Apatow. That scene is kind of devastating, but it was also real and great. And uh, I don't know if this counts as a full film, but I did really appreciate the trailer um, Thanksgiving from Eli Roth in Grindhouse. So those are my three picks for Thanksgiving films. Congrats again. I wish you the best of luck. Let's take a quick break for the folks that keep the lights on. Stay tuned. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realize that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. 
So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know and a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to PRfortheindiefilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Picture Lock question of the week last week was, would you help me celebrate 100 episodes on WERA? I'm playing the call-ins on Instagram at sffilms underscore fans said, hey, keep up the hard work. Major thanks to everyone for participating and leaving your messages. I look forward to continuing all things Picture Lock. We'll see what the good Lord has in store for the future. I've mentioned it on the podcast, but... Just in case I didn't say it on the radio airwaves, Picture Lock will be going to a 30-minute format. This will give me the ability to not have to pour as many hours into producing a weekly show because it's definitely a lot, as Carolyn said, but I absolutely love doing this and couldn't see doing anything else. It, it just takes a, a lot of time uh, just from start to finish producing this bad boy. So I'll have a tighter format for you starting November 30th, but I'm by no means done with the program. This week's question of the week, in honor of my guest, Mr. Indie Film Hustle himself, Alex Ferrari, and my mutual love for independent film and filmmakers, what was the first indie film you saw that opened your eyes to the beauty of cinema that is independently produced? I think for me, I have a distinct memory of seeing the Brazilian crime film City of God and being absolutely mesmerized by it. It's such a great film. I definitely suggest you see it. But what's yours? Leave me a message, 60 seconds or less, on the first indie film you saw that blew your mind, and I'll play it during next week's show. Call 202-350-1351. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow at gmail.com. And I'll read your answer next episode. Congratulations, Picture Lock. Happy 100th. I'm Rhonda Mendoza, Picture Lock TV's floor manager and indie filmmaker. My top three Thanksgiving films are Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Hannah and Her Sisters, and the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. What is up? It is Epic Film Guy Justin here checking in from the Epic Film Guys podcast. Wishing you, Kevin, a happy 100th episode. That's so amazing. And I'm so humbled and appreciative to have been able to be a part of Picture Lock. I'm here to tell you my three favorite Thanksgiving films. One of which is the 80s Thanksgiving slasher film, Blood Rage. What goes better with turkey than some blood splatter? Secondly, Adam's Family Values. How could you not love that reenactment of Thanksgiving? It's iconic. And of course, everyone's favorite, planes, trains, and automobiles. You just can't celebrate the season without it. Well, that's it. And I'm, again... Just wishing you a happy 100th episode, Picture Lock. Kevin, you kill it, man. Hi, this is Galia Barkal, writer, director, producer, and star, and Mia, and you're listening to Film Lock.
No, not film log. What was it? Picture log. <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> it's picture lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and after a terrible car crash in which his son dies, brilliant surgeon John Clark, tormented by guilt, becomes prey to an unbearable physical pain. While his marriage starts disintegrating, John soon finds out that the only thing that can ease his pain is the taste of human blood. When he encounters Herb Morris, a man who claims he can help him get his life back, John embarks upon a nightmarish journey through which he will either have to come to terms with his pain or become a monster. I don't know about you, but I, like just reading that, it, I'm, I'm excited. This is interesting. And I have the film's director, Roxy Shi, on the line. Roxy, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me today. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I'm happy to have you. I, th I don't think I mentioned the film. The title of the film is Painkillers. My bad. Yeah. My bus. I might have to take a painkiller myself. Uh, <laughs> but Roxy, if you could, the first question I always start out with, uh, when did you first fall in love with film? I remember the exact moment. Um, I was actually going to college at UC Irvine. I was a sociology major, and all I know is that I'm very passionate about promoting positive change in the world, and being a filmmaker was like the last thing on my mind. It wasn't even something that occurred to me, because during that time, the reality of the world was that, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a person of color, there's basically no examples of an Asian female director, you know, like a filmmaker being present at that time, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't even a conversation, you know what I mean? So don't even dream about that, because it's such a far-fetched type dream. So I was trying to be realistic about, you know, what I wanted to do, and um, I ended up taking this film studies class to fulfill my humanities core requirements. And um, the professor ended up showing this movie called uh, The Terrible de Sherberg, which is The Umbrellas of Sherberg, a French film, 1967, with Catherine Deneuve, and an incredible score by Anisha Legrand. And I remembered sitting there and watching this movie completely floored by the emotions that took over me watching it. And, um, you know, La La Land was largely inspired by this movie where everything in this um, movie was sung, even the dialogue, which is extremely odd. But it talks about sort of like a tragic, you know, a love story mixed in with sort of like this very joyous sort of like um, colorful palette you know, really amazing score. Like, it, it just was it was emotionally, like, a confusing emotional roller coaster. But I just remember feeling so strongly crying after the movie and just thinking about, wow, if I could be a part of that magic, if I could still somehow make people feel the way that I felt watching this, like, I want to be a part of that. Like, how do I become a part of that? So it wasn't so much about, you know, being a director or being a producer. It was just about being a part of the magic and understanding that you can make something that can live forever on screen as a legacy and be able to touch people, you know? Um, and so that was the exact moment. And ever since then, I've been trying to channel, you know, um, my life's path into somehow becoming a part of the industry and promoting that, that sort of change and creating that sort of understanding. So that's how it started. <laughs> Otherwise, um, you know, I would love to be a drag queen or I would love to be a flight attendant, but I'm scared of turbulence. <laughs> and... Um, the drag queen will probably have to wait until my next life. But uh, as of now, you know, it, I've dedicated myself to becoming a filmmaker and a, a person that, you know, fights for community and positive change. Yeah, Roxy, I just love that, that story. That's why I asked that question, because 
It's my love for cinema and the power that it has to transform us, um, to speak to us in ways that, you know, sometimes we can't with our own words. Um, I, I totally feel you on that, and I get it. You know, I think let's just jump straight into painkillers because most of the time, I, I, you know, the next question is kind of your backstory. I think you hit that a little bit um, just then with the mm-hmm. answer. So if you could, in your own words, what is Painkillers all about? Painkillers is a film about grief and addiction, and uh, it basically has the paranormal elements of um Sort of like a, we don't want to call it a vampire movie, but it does have, um, you know, those paranormal elements about dealing and coping with pain. So it follows this surgeon who, you know, is a workaholic, and um, his mind is about his work all the time. So when you have too much of one thing, your life becomes imbalanced, and he doesn't really pay attention to his family life. Um, he ends up getting his son killed in a car accident, which is basically, the, you know, that, that sort of sets off the whole film where he develops this paranormal PTSD where he has this incredible, intense internal physical pain and he loses his motor functions. And so he's unable to work and he doesn't know how to make his pain go away. And the only way that he could do so is by drinking fresh human blood, you know, and so... The question is, it's like, how much would you do? And, you know, we could talk about addiction in, in terms of this as well, like, to make the pain go away. And, like, when it comes to your morality and the actions you take, especially as a doctor, someone who saves lives, at what cost would you do to ease your pain and your grief over something that you've done in the past? So we, uh, this is the main theme of it. So we explore, you know, this very sort of humanistic condition. And then the fun stuff is the paranormal stuff, which is the stuff that I love as well, and I love exploring that. Just because when you put a character into a situation, you give them all of these different variables to sort of play around with. It's always interesting to see where it goes, you know? So that's basically what the film is centered around. Yeah, you know, so this is really exciting. So when I first read kind of the description of the film, for some reason in my mind, I thought of Doctor Strange. Yeah, <laughs> love Doctor Strange. What a great stuff. I'm flattered. Um, I'm gonna take that as a compliment. Thank you. Yeah, no, and and it, it is. Uh, but you know, when you think of his backstory, for those that might not know it, just in terms of being a brilliant surgeon, gets into a car accident, and then what you just said, which I was kind of, uh, I wanted to hone in on, is the balance when you're when you're throwing yourself into so much of one thing something else is going to suffer. And so for, you know, Dr. Strange, like he goes to Mystic Arts to try to relieve himself. And, you know, for um, your main character, he's going to, you know, drinking blood to try to relieve the pain. But I I do think that the, the concept of balance in our lives and just in general how if we throw ourselves into our work, our relationships can suffer and Mm -hmm. then and then this whole you know question of morality and you know i'm not sure if this is going into spoiler territory but you know how does he get this blood obviously if he's you know a doctor you know you you can think about the different ways that he might do it but then you can also think about the horrible way that he might you know try to get blood um and so that exploration has to be incredible um so for you as the director i'd love to know like how did you bring all that we just spoke about visually to the screen? Oh, my God. Um, well, I think I get a lot of excitement from dealing with the unknown because, I, you know, I get branded a lot as, like, sort of this horror science fiction filmmaker because I like to play with a lot of um, what-ifs. 
You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it starts with the script, and the script has to be very good. I mean, it's like having a good steak, you know? Like, <laughs> right. You can't cook rotten meat because it's rotten, it's going to taste rotten. You need to make sure that the steak is good. And then, like, all the fun stuff, all the exploring you want to do is the seasoning. Like, if you want to have salt and pepper, if you want to have chimichurri, you know, if you want to have, like, red pepper chili flakes, like, how you want to spice it up is up to you. And that, I feel like that's your exploration in genre. Um, so in terms of bringing things to the screen, like, I love picking, you know, I, and there are some directors who work with, like, the same DPs and the same key, key crew. I always try to pick somebody who would take me out of my comfort zone to sort of elevate, you know, my vision in a way that I could never see it done before. Because I think my method as a director is I'm a real collaborator um, because I believe that every mix and every group of people brings out different energies in you. And when that happens, the outcome is different. So I collaborated with this amazing DP called Felipe Vara de Rey. Um, and he's so <laughs> Can you say that one more time, please? I can't, I feel like I'm just going to pressure it. Um, I'm just going to say it really American. It's Felipe Vara de Rey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, it was... I'm not even going to roll my R's. <laughs> yeah. I like the and rolling. <laughs> Thank you. And then my production designer, Tracy Hayes, who has worked with me on my episodic dark web, and she's freaking phenomenal. And, like, I think it's just about having really these creative conversations and developing the world with, um, you know, these people and um, finding a way to interpret the world in a way that people have never seen before or normalize it in a way that's never been seen before. Because when you think vampire, you think drinking blood, like, immediately there's a stereotype that comes with it, you know what I mean, on how it's portrayed on screen. Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, ground that, if you ground it and just use it as a mechanism for addiction in, like, this world that we're developing, make it very human, make it very relatable. Like, if you were put in this situation, would you do the same thing that John is doing? You know, I think your job as a filmmaker is to always challenge people's perspectives and what they think about things because so much of the world and how society has taught us has conditioned us to think certain ways about things but our job is to open up and broaden the minds of people so you know he is an anti-hero but like you want to root for him you want him to overcome it so yeah i guess this is short story long to answer your question you know i think with with it's about really collaborating with my cinematographer and my production designer to make that world a, a different way and to create that tone, you know? Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Picture Lock. I'm talking with the director of Painkillers, Roxy She. Roxy, the reason I asked that question is more so because I wanted to get to know you as a director. And I think um, uh -huh. a, a strong director understands that film is uh, a team effort. And I think that's what yeah. I heard from you just now, like understanding, knowing your limitations and knowing when you can allow someone else on the crew to shine. But yet at the same time, you're bringing forth um, these cool visuals. Um, you know, one of the things that I really I really wanted to ask you about that I, I love is just the website. <laughs> like the it's a, for folks that are, aren't checking it out. But if you go to RoxyShe.com, slash painkillers i'll have the website in the show notes in the background it's like this blood that's going into water <laughs> like 
that, <laughs> that to me, I'm like, okay, this is a full immersive experience. Thank but, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought it was awesome. And maybe we could talk about that maybe in the after show segment. One thing that I really wanted to hone in on is, you know, you do have some stars in this film, Misha Barton mm-hmm. being one, but really I wanted to say Deborah Wilson because, you know, for me as a black kid I growing up, Yes, growing up watching her on Mad TV. I, was, I mean, it had to have been awesome to work with her. How was it? She is so amazing. And she, her energy is dynamite. Like, the moment she comes on set, you will know that Deborah Wilson's on set. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And she literally did the sweetest thing. Like, she was wrapped after the first week of Principal. And, like, she came back while we were still shooting on another stage, um, you know, doing some green screen stuff. And then she, like, surprised, like, me and, like, uh, Madeline Zima and Adam Huss with, like, our own little Oscars. And she had them, you know, um, engraved with, like, best director, painkillers. And I was just like, you are the sweetest person. She's incredibly spiritual, incredibly intelligent. She's very tuned into everything. And her, her process is just so natural and intuitive. And working with her is just mind blowing because, you know, you have those actors where, you know, they're more seasoned, they're older, and you put them into a scene with someone, and suddenly she elevates and challenges everybody in the room to be at her level. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Like, it's, it's, it's phenomenal to watch. Like, I just love that moment when, you know, cameras are rolling, and then there's that, that silence after the class before you say action, because you could just feel that it's going to be something amazing, or that it's going to be different, or that you give them direction and it's going, you're not, you know what to expect, but you also don't. And I think that's the excitement of it. You know, when you get to see something unfold that you never really anticipated and your job is to guide them, you know, you're not there to control the outcome. You're there to guide the scene, you know? So I think that's what's so beautiful about filmmaking, especially with people that you love and respect and have watched growing up. Like I never would have imagined I would work with Deborah Wilson. Like what a, dream you know <laughs> i was incredibly honored incredibly honored yeah, yeah no no i feel you on that um and and it is crazy when you when you grow up and then suddenly like the person that you're watching so many years are listening to and now you're like actually working with them is amazing and yeah i know you can so weird yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Um, but but I love what you just said, which is for actors, we know that actor an actor's job is to react to the person that yes. they're playing against in the scene. Um, and then for yes. a director to guide uh, those actors, I, I love I love how you said that. Uh, unfortunately, we're gonna have to wrap things up for the interview. But uh, Roxy, if you could, how can people follow the film, follow you uh, on social media, online, etc. Um, okay, so Painkillers, uh, you can mostly follow us on Instagram. I think that's where most of our um, promotional stuff comes through. It's just hashtag Painkillers Movie. And then um, we do have some announcements coming out. Um, you can also find it, find information about the film on uh, with Lone Suspect, which is the production company, LoneSuspect.com. And if you want to follow me, um, you can find me anywhere. Uh, my handle is all the same for all my social media. It's just Roxy She. Instagram, Facebook, uh, IMDb, everywhere. Thank you. <laughs> I love it, man. Your energy is awesome. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) you're welcome. I've been talking with the director of Painkillers, Roxy Shee. Roxy, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock. 
Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Hi, this is Alexandra Sampson, self-care advocate and founder of the She First Project. And I am also Kevin Sampson's wife. And I was just calling in to congratulate Kevin on his 100th episode on WERA 96.7 FM um, via Picture Lock. I am so proud of you and I'm just extremely inspired by your dedication to film criticism and your passion for highlighting the stories and works of independent filmmakers. You rock and keep shooting for the stars. Um, as you know, I'm not a film nerd, guru, or buff, so <laughs> I don't have three Thanksgiving films to sound off, but I'll name two of my favorite holiday films, one being Home Alone. Um, love that one. Classic. Um, has stuck with me from my youthful years um, into this Christmas. So anyways, again, congratulations, babe. I'm really proud of you. That's all for this episode. I had to end it with my best friend and the love of my life. She is absolutely not a film nerd, as she said, but I appreciate her putting up with a film nerd like me. I'd like to thank my guests, Alex Ferrari and Roxy She for coming on the show. For you radio listeners, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear Alex and Roxy's after show conversations with me. When I say we had some fire convos, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. For you practitioners, guys, they just gave great nuggets of wisdom. I mean, the, the conversation went for a good 30 minutes. And you guys know if you've been listening, usually it's about 15 minutes. So you definitely want to check out those after shows. A huge thanks to everyone for calling in and helping me celebrate 100 episodes on WERA 96.7 FM. It has been a blast. Be sure to check out the past episodes if you're new to this. You can do that in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast, so you can catch those unlocked versions of the show, the after show, and all that good stuff. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast and I'll come right up. Please feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. It helps to get the show to a broader audience. I need those five-star reviews with the comments. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash Picture Lock Show. And if you're interested in being a guest, you can fill out a form on the website to do so. Picture Lock question of the week this week is what was the first indie film that you saw that blew your mind? Leave me a voicemail with your name, where you're from, and your thoughts at 202-350-1351 or send me an email at picturelockshow at gmail.com or message me on any of Picture Lock's social media pages and let me know what your answer is and I'll play or read it on next week's show. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S. The Producer, numero one, numero three. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there 
creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started PictureLock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR, finally, a partner as passionate as you.